2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. The Bible says, And it came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. I want to stop reading right there. And I want to look at this text tonight as it takes us further into this transition that is taking place from the ministry of Elijah to the ministry of Elisha. We looked at last week how Elisha was able to push through the pushback. He was able to overcome the opposition to his service. You see, when we first met Elisha, he was surrendering his life to God. He was surrendering his life to serve God. And, of course, it is no surprise the next time we see Elisha, after he has surrendered his life to serve God, now there is opposition. There will always be opposition to that. As long as you live in this world, as long as you live in your flesh, and as long as we have an enemy by the name of Satan, there will always be pushback. And you have to learn to push through it. If you let every little single thing knock you down and and set you back, listen, you're not going to get anywhere for God. And it's like those muscles we talked about. you got to build them up to opposition and they make us stronger and they make us... Uh, they, they allow us to be able to withstand even more opposition because, and I'm going to need some seasoned saints to give me an amen right here, it doesn't get easier, it gets harder to serve God. I always thought as a young man, hey, you know, I, mean, I can't wait till I'm older and this will be a lot easier. I've been in this thing a while. and I'm going to tell you what, now I'm not old. No, I'm not old just yet, but I'm older than I was when I thought stupid stuff like that. And I'm going to tell you something. It ain't true. Amen. It's got nothing. I'm not, I'm not poor mouth and I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, being a, a Debbie Downer tonight. I'm just telling you, it's not got easier to serve God. It's got harder to serve God. And, but that's all right. God's working on me. I hope in some ways that I've gotten a little stronger in the Lord and in the grace of God and, and learned to persevere just a little bit more and lean on God just a little bit more. And I don't care if you've been saved one year or a hundred years. 
years, you're always going to mess up if you're leaning on your flesh and not leaning on God. And you need God to help you push through the pushback. But there will be pushback. And that's what we looked at last week. And I'm not going to look at all that. But, but when we come into the transition here, and we looked at how they went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan, and they came across those death waters of, uh, those death waters of Jordan. And when they get across, we picked up our reading in verse number 9. The Bible says that Elijah asked a question of Elisha. He said, what shall I do for thee? Uh, what shall I do for thee before I am taken away from thee? And Elisha's answer is very interesting to me. It has been the object and the subject of a lot of uh, different uh, you know, interpretations and speculations and things like that. Uh, he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He wants a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And I'm not sure exactly all what that means. I'm just going to be honest. I've read so many people. It's probably got me confused. Uh, I'm more confused than if I just uh, opened my Bible. <laughs> Amen. Everybody's got a different idea what that means. But I, I've come to the conclusion that it has to mean it has to mean something that has to do with the, uh, the anointing and the gifting that was on Elijah. Some type of divine enablement that allowed Elijah to serve God. Because I think, I believe, and I'll let you be the judge, I'll preach it and you judge it, but I believe that there's a picture here that is being painted for us that points us to Christ. And I think if we understand Christ and the way that He operates and the way that Jesus operated, I think we'll be able to understand a little bit more about this spirit of Elijah because it's even recognized in verse number 15 when the sons of the prophets bowed before Elisha, they recognized that there was this spirit of Elijah that rested on him. And so I want you to see a picture tonight that I think is very clear in this text. And that is we have a picture before us of a master being taken up into heaven, followed by that master's spirit being poured out in abundant measure on his servant that is left behind to carry on the work. I hope that sounds familiar to us because Jesus, for several chapters before he went to Calvary, he spoke of the Holy Spirit of God, his spirit that would rest and come on his disciples after he ascended into heaven so that they might have divine enablement to carry on the work that God had called them to do. In fact, Jesus even alludes in John 14, I think it's uh, verse 12, John 14, 12, He even alludes to the fact that His disciples would do even greater works than He would. And we find here Elisha, if you count up the miracles... He asked for a double portion, and he performed a double amount of the miracles that Elijah performed. There's a, an abundant measure of this spirit that rested on Elisha. And it was uh, an enablement. Whatever it was, it was some type of divine enablement, divine, uh, a, a divine certificate, divine, uh, a divine accreditation, uh, something like that, that allowed him to do what other men were unable to do, allow him to say what other men were unable to say say. And we see that in the person of Jesus and with His disciples. Uh, you see Elijah going to heaven and leaving his spirit. It's, it's symbolized, represented by this mantle that Elisha picks up. And we find just in that same way that the Spirit of God descended on those disciples there on the day of Pentecost and divinely enabled them to do what before they were scared to do. Now they're not doubting. Now they're not 
cussing. Now they're not hiding. Now they're not fussing. Now they're not jockeying for position. But now they are boldly in one accord preaching the gospel and with divine power. And, uh, and we see that in the book of Acts, this transition that takes place. And I think there is a mirror, uh, there is a mirror message in here. There's a, a parallel uh, that we must recognize when we see here. And it's amazing that he was asked that question and that he answered in that way. I thought about, I think, now y'all check me out on this, but I was, I, was, I was pondering on it just a little bit, meditating on it just a little bit, and I think, the only time anybody else was asked something like that, uh, this almost this question of you can have whatever you want. What do you want? A blank check from God. It seems like it seems like the only two men is Solomon and Elisha. Solomon was asked of God, and, and so what's amazing to me is that we don't find anybody in the Bible ever asked ask that question. Who answered in a wrong way? They they answered and they requested the right things. It's almost like uh, it's like God knew what they were going to uh, answer before He asked them the question. It's almost like He's not going to ask a dummy that question because He knows what they'll say. Somebody that is submitted to God, somebody that is surrendered to God, He will give you the desires of your heart when your uh, when your life lines up, when your desires line up with Him. And that's that's very interesting to me. I I don't you just take that for what it's worth, but I think that's very interesting right there. But I, I'm, I, what, what I think everything center, centers around to me, what, what really spoke to my heart in this passage is in verse number 14. When Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha took the mantle of Elijah and he took it, and the Bible says that he smote the waters. You see that in verse 14? And he asked a question. He smote the waters and he asked a question. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is God? It's amazing to me that Elisha recognized that it was not Elijah that he needed, but it was Elijah's God that he needed. Elisha recognized that it was not Elijah that wrought all these great miracles, but it was Elijah in the power of God that had wrought these great miracles. What a, what a wonderful awareness that is. Because it was not enough. He had the mantle. I could just see Elisha with that mantle, and he thinks, well, now I got the power. Obviously, obviously Elisha did not view that mantle as some type of a relic, some type of a, uh, just an in, uh, just some, some kind of a special object that had special powers in and of itself. It's kind of like Moses with that rod. Did God use the rod? Yes. But the power was not in the rod. The power was in God. And God just used that object as a, as a means to accomplish His will. It represented the power of God. It represented uh, the miracles of God. It represented the moving of God. It represented the work of God. But it was not God itself. And Elisha takes this mantle, but yet he does not, he is not intrigued with the mantle, but he is still longing, he is desirous for the God of the mantle. He wanted God. Where is God? This mantle, in effect, what Elisha is saying is, this mantle that I have is of no value. It will produce nothing unless I have God. And what's amazing to me, and what I'm interested in, and what really captivated my 
heart and my attention this week as I study this passage is this thought right here on how much Elisha knew that he needed God. As soon as he got this mantle, there was not a proud boastfulness about him. There was not an arrogance about him. But yet there was an awareness about him that he needed God. And I thought about my own life so many times I feel like that there's not a, an awareness of that as much as there should be in my life that I need God. I can't do anything without God. And I'm thankful I got a Bible and I'm thankful I got a church and I'm thankful I got all these things that God has given me. But without God, none of them are going to affect me the way that they need to. We need God. and I want to speak about that. I want to preach on that just for a little bit about, about wanting God to show up. Where will God show up? When will God show up? That is where Elisha's at. He needed God to show up. Have you ever needed God to show up? Have you ever needed God? Have you ever been aware, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm in a mess. God, if you don't show up, I'm not going to be able to do anything. God, if you don't show up, I don't have anything. And that's where Elisha's at. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Man, God, help us to have and live with that awareness. People, a lot of times they, they, they want a mantle, something like that. They want a position. They want a title. They, 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 want, they want recognition. They want, they, want to, they, they want to be recognized as this or that. But can I tell you, all is vain without God. we got to have Him. You can have all the titles. You can have all the degrees. You can have all the positions. You can have all the, all the accolades and all the recognition. And you can have all the respect of everybody around you. But unless you have God, you have nothing. You will accomplish nothing. We need God. I know that sounds a little cliche, but oh, God help us. God help us to have that awareness. We need Him. We need Him. I need Him in my life. I need Him in my ministry. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get, sometimes, you know, there'll be some good things happening. And I'll think, man, you know, old Chris Simpson, he's not that bad of a feller, you know. I know y'all never think that, but sometimes I think that. Maybe something happens, you know, go preach and somebody says that was a good message or somebody, oh, that helped me or something like that. This old flesh, you know, it'll want to rise up and say, oh, Chris, you're a good preacher now. How about that? Did you hear what such and such said about that and what so and so said? But I'm going to tell you what, many of men have fallen, believe in their own press and listening to all that. You never get too big, and you never get too smart, and you never get too out there. I don't care who you are. You'll never get far where you don't need God. Where you don't need God, mamas and daddies, you need Him in your home. Where is God in your home? Where is God in your life? Where is God in your ministry? Here's what the scary thing is. The scary thing is we've learned how to carry on without Him. We've learned how to do it. We've learned how to go through the motions and we've learned how to, how to go through all of it. And we don't need God. We don't need the God of Elijah. We got the mantle. We got an outward representation that people can see. But that ain't going to cut it. Did God use some of those things? Absolutely. But it's got to be God using it. It's got to be Him doing it. I wonder if we're really aware of how much we need Him. Some people just want His blessings. They just want His... They act like the blessings of God. There's a little sprinkle dust on there. 
Lord, sprinkle my plans with your little Peter Pan pixie dust thing. Lord, I'm going to make my own plans. I'm going to do my own thing. But Lord, I want you to just sprinkle your little blessings on top of that. That ain't how this thing works. That ain't how this thing works at all. It's God calling the shots, God making the moves, God doing the work. And if mankind could figure out a way to have God's blessings and be able to perform God's miracles without having God himself, they would do it. In fact, they're trying to. They always do. Pharaoh had his magicians. There's always the counterfeit. There's always, there's always those that, that want God's blessings, but they just don't want God. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work like that. we got to have him. Do you have any situations? I know we talked about situations this morning. That's kind of a very generic statement. But do you have any situations where you need desperately God to show up? The answer is yes. Now, you may not be aware of it, but the answer is absolutely yes. I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm not trying to be presumptuous if I were to title this thing How to Make God Show Up because that's, I don't think, I think that's a little presumptuous. But, but I would like to look at a few things about maybe, maybe make some observations about where God will show up. Uh, because I believe God did show up here. The waters parted, right? He was able to walk across on dry land. I believe God showed up. I believe we can look at the ministry of Elisha and say that God was working in him and through him and with him and for him. And so I believe God did show up for Elisha. Where, where will God show up? I, I want to make three observations and then I'll be done. Number one, I believe God will show up where there has been some steadfast dedication. Some steadfast dedication. One of the spiritual qualities that I believe is most notable about Elisha is his dedication. In fact, we see that as we looked at the, as we looked at the, uh, the lesson last week. Through the, he was faithful through the opposition. He was, he was faithful in spite of all of the problems, in spite of all of the, all of the pushback, all of the, all of the adversity that was... Uh, placed in his life. He just stayed faithful. He just kept on going. Even Elijah himself, probably in a, in, in a, in a, in a testing type of way, said, you just stay here. But he kept faithful. He kept faithful to his assignment and the one that he had been assigned to. He stayed with the one whom he served and whom he loved. He, he stayed by his side through Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho and Jordan and he was there. And I think if there's one quality that can be highlighted about the life of Elisha, I think it would have to be his faithfulness. We'd have to look at his dedication. He stayed faithful. In fact, Elijah, when he asked him the request, when, when, when Elisha was given uh, this, uh, this blank check, if you will, Elijah put one stipulation on it. Do you see that? It's in verse 10. There was one stipulation that was given to him if he was going to receive this double portion. Verse 10, he said, If thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. 
Do you see that? What is, how could we sum up that one requirement, the one stipulation, the, the fine print on the blank check? What, what, what is it? The requirement is faithfulness. Elisha, you got to be faithful. You have to be there. If you stay with me, and if you'll stick by me, and if you'll, I mean, tangibly, physically lay eyes on me when I am taken from you, then I'll grant you your request. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to believe this. I'll let you believe what you want. I'm preaching right now, all right? I don't think Elisha blinked. <laughs> I don't think he closed his eyes one minute. I don't know how long it... I don't know how, long, how much time passed between that stipulation that was given. It just says in verse 11 that it came to pass. I don't know how much time came to pass, but they were going on and they talked, the Bible says. I think as they were walking, I think Elisha was stumbling on rocks and weeds and things. I think he was just looking over at Elijah the whole time. He wasn't going to take his eyes off of his master. He was going to stay by his side. And there was a talking. There was a, there was a fellowship. There was a, a walking together to stay faithful. He had to stay in step with his master. He had to stay in tune with his master. Mm, how about that? Can I tell you, that's what faithfulness looks like? Listen, we may stumble here or there, but I want to tell you something. Keep your eyes on your master. Keep your eyes. Stay in fellowship with him. Can I tell you, when we get unfaithful, it is when we're no longer interested in walking with him and talking with him and spending time with him. But Elisha was right there by his side every step of the way. And because of that, he was able to receive the desire of his heart. And when it comes to seeing God move, if you really want to see God move, if you really need God to show up in your situation, you'll never find it if you quit. You'll never see it if you give up. It's always too soon to quit. It always is. I wonder about some when they give up. And just because you're in church don't mean you haven't given up. Amen. I'm not talking about quitting church. People quit long before they quit church. Church is the last thing to go. Just know that when people fall out of church, they done gave up a whole lot before that. You, you fall in private long before you ever fall in public. But if you need God to show up in your situation. I'm going to tell you what, you better get back to walking with God. You better get back to talking with God. You better get back to sticking close by Him because if not, you're going to miss out on God doing something in your life. When it comes to seeing God move, you can't buy it. You can't buy a move of God. You can't earn a move of God. I'm not talking about earning. I'm not talking about if you do good enough, then God will do it. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about simple faithfulness. You don't have to be good to be faithful. Amen. You don't have to be talented to be faithful. You don't have to be, you don't have to be gifted with some great spiritual gifts to be faithful. You know what you got to have to be faithful? Faithfulness. <laughs> you just got to do it. 
on the days you feel like it and on the days that you don't. You cannot be dictated by your emotions or your feelings. There has to be discipline in your life and a daily discipline and a desire for the things of God. But a lot of people miss out on a display of God's power in their life, in their home, in our, in our churches because we give up too soon. We get distracted. See, he had the, the, the whole issue was you had to have, he had to have his eyes on his master if he was going to receive the desire of his heart. Let me ask you a question. Are your eyes on your master? There's so many things that distract us, aren't there? I promise you, whatever takes your attention away, it's not as good as what you'll get by looking to him and looking at him. I promise you that. We get discouraged. I don't, like I said, I don't know how long, how much time has passed. It just says, and it came to pass. I don't know what, I don't know what, what time, kind of time frame that is. I don't think it was very long, but at the same time, I, it could have been a couple of days. I, I don't know. But it would have been easy to get discouraged. How long are we going to have to walk? How long are we going to have to talk? When's this going to happen? When's this going to take place? When am I going to get what I asked for? But yet, I don't see any of that out of... Out of Elisha, I see a steadfast dedication to his master. If you need God to move in your life, listen to me. Just stay faithful where God has put you. Stay dedicated to your assignment and just wait. God will be by before too long, I promise you that. Well, where will God show up? He'll show up where there has been some steadfast dedication. Secondly, I would say that God will show up where there is some serious desperation. Where there is some serious desperation. I want you to notice where Elisha was when Elijah was taken from him. The Bible says in verse 12... That and Elijah, Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. Look what it says. And he took hold of his own clothes, rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan and took the mantle of Elijah and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I want you to see a desperate man. I want you to see a longing man. I want you to see a distraught man. He knew it was going to happen. He knew knew Elijah was going to be taken, and yet when he does, the Bible says that he cried out and he rent his own clothes. What is that? That, that That is a display of sorrow. That is a display of anguish of soul. That is a display of desperation. That is a display of distress. This is a man who is broken hearted. This is a man who is at a low point. A humble desperation. A humble distress that he is in. And, he, and, he, and in humility he rends off his clothes to show the, the breaking of his heart. What's happening on the inside is now being displayed on the outside as he tears his garments uh, off of his body and, and, and he is And that is where God shows up. And can I tell you where God most often shows up? He shows up in our low times. 
situations. He shows up in our low places. He shows up when we humble ourselves before Him. He shows up when we get desperate for His presence, when we are all alone and there's nothing left, and we look to heaven and we say, God, where are you at? I need you. It seems like He always comes by in those situations. At least that's the way I found it to be. As long as you got plan B. As long as you got backup. As long as you got, Lord, I'd like for you to show up. <laughs> but if you don't, it's all right. I already got a program lined out for the service tonight. <laughs> That's how we think, isn't it? Lord, I'd like for you to show up. But if not, I got them, I got them credit cards. I guess I'll just, just use them. God, I'd like for you to show up, but if not, we're fine. My house is paid for. I got a paycheck being deposited next week. We're so self-sufficient, are we? I believe that's the reason, one of the reasons we're so devoid of the power of God. It's because we have learned to do it without Him. We do not need Him. There's not a cry in our soul. There's not a desperation. There's not an anguish on the inside. Listen, we have more organizers and we don't have enough agonizers and we need people to agonize after God. And listen, God tells us in His Word that He's on the outside and laid to see it and He's knocking on the door while all the while they're on the inside saying, we have need of nothing. It's not that they don't have a need, it's just that they don't think they really have a need. They have filled that need, they have filled that void with their own self and their own things. And I believe the reason a lot of times God strips us down of everything and God lets us be put in a low place is just so simply... I know there's a simple preaching tonight, but this is true. It's just so we'll look up and we'll get desperate. And I know there's not a lot about Elisha up until this point. I understand that. But at the same time, you don't ever see Elisha getting this desperate for God until he needs God. Maybe Elisha, and I'm not indicting Elisha. Like I said, we don't know enough about, about his story in between his his calling and then his commissioning as the, as the man of God. We, we don't know a lot, of, a lot about his story right there, but I, could, I can see, I can understand how easy it would be for Elisha to lean on his master. That's what servants do. That's what, that's what protégés do. You, you, you lean on... Elijah was the one who talked to God. Elijah was the one who heard from God. Elijah was the one who delivered the word of God. Elijah was the one who figured out the plan from God. Elijah was the one who revealed the will of God. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. But there come a point where God took what he was leaning on out of the way. And Elisha realized there was a void in his life that could only be filled with God. And I believe God will show up when we get serious about needing Him to show up and we get desperate. We don't long for the power of God like we ought to long for it. We don't need it. We don't feel like. But haven't we seen the fruits? Haven't we seen the results? Feeling like we could do it ourselves. 
modern Christianity. Just look around. Look how wicked it is and liberal it is and far off base it is. That's what man can do. Man can pervert everything that God gives. Everything that God gives. Man, man corrupts it. Everything God gives to man that's perfect, he messes it up. Messes it all up. That's what man can do, can do. We're not near as smart as what we think. We're not near as clever as what we think. We're not nearly as talented as what we think. We're just an old ball of mud. We need the breath of God inside of us. If we're going to do anything, if we're going to preach, if we're going to sing, if we're going to serve, if we're going to be a parent, if we're going to be a light in this world, I need God to breathe inside these dead bones. Oh, God, do it. God, do it. It seems like we spend our efforts on solutions rather than supplications. We try to think of how to make it work, think of how to make it better, better rather than getting on our knees before God and saying, God, help us. God, help us. Where will God show up? Where there is steadfast dedication. Where there is serious desperation. And then I would just make this observation. I believe God will show up where there is simple duplication. Simple duplication. I can't help but notice that, that Elisha repeats the same process that Elijah used. Do you see that? He took the mantle, he smote the waters. Where did he learn that? Well, he learned that from what Elijah did in verse number 8. Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither. He took that mantle, and he smote the waters. You say, what is Elisha doing? He's doing the same thing his master did. There's a duplication. There is a, there is a, a repeat of the miracle. You want the same results? You do the same thing. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not looking for a new way. We're going to follow the pattern that has been revealed to us, what has worked. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not one of those new preachers looking for a new way. And I know that's not popular, and I know that ain't going to bring in a crowd, but I'll tell you what it'll still do when we have the power of God. It'll build a church, and it'll build Christians, and it'll do it the right way. I want to stay on the old path. I want to do what I've always done. I don't plan on changing any time. And if we get up here and open a Bible and scream and holler and spit and slobber, it's just because that's what I saw in the old men of God. Get up and do. That's what worked in my life. I've seen God move just like that. I'm not looking for fog machines and laser shows and light shows and dance teams and drama teams. I don't need all that junk. just need the Word of God and the songs of Zion. And I still believe in living right and praying right and preaching right and singing right. I, I believe it still gets the job done and I'm not looking to change. I plan on just picking up the mantle and using it just like the men of God of old. I believe it'll still work when God's in it, not when it's a show, not when it's just a hypocritical front, but I believe when God touches it, I believe it works with all my heart. I believe that. And you remember the picture, the picture that's here. The master goes up, the spirit comes down, the servants are enabled to carry on. Master goes up, spirit comes down, servants carry on. The work. That's what those disciples did. They didn't look for... You read the book of Acts. They followed the ministry pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not looking for new ways. We don't need nothing new. We need something fresh. There's a difference. 
There's a difference between fresh and new. If you know anything about me and my appetite issues, my sensitive palate, then you know that I don't like new things. I don't want to try new things. I don't care who made them. I ain't trying. I love you, but I, ain't, I don't want it. I don't want nothing new. But that doesn't mean I don't want something fresh. I don't want three-week-old pizza. I want it fresh. Somebody say amen right there. There's a difference between new and fresh. What we need is not, not something new, but we, what we need is something fresh. We need something fresh from God. And because what's amazing is when things are done God's way, in God's pattern, then He gets the glory. Because, because it's not like, oh, wow. It's not the method that is praised. It's not the man that is praised. But it is the master that is praised. And I see that. It's in verse 15. When the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they saw everything that just happened. Here's what they said. Elisha is such a great man of God. No, that's not what they said. They said there's only one explanation for this. It's the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Elisha didn't get the credit for the miracle. The spirit of his master got the credit for the miracle. And that is exactly what happens when we do God's work in God's way. It is not us that gets the credit. But it is God and the Holy Spirit that gets the credit. Well, let me ask you a question. What's being done in our church? And what's being done in your home? And what's being done in your life? Can it only be credited to the Spirit of God? Can it be recognized by other people and say, man, that's God moving in that. E.M. Bounds, I... I love and hate to read Ian e. Bounds. If you've ever read Ian e. Bounds, you know what I'm talking about. I love it because it feeds my soul. I hate it because it is convicting as all get out. I got the complete works of Ian e. Bounds. They sit on my desk, and there's some days I'm just like, look, I just, I don't feel like getting right today. All right. Man, I open that thing up, and I get under conviction. It's like, look, I'm just going to be backslid today. All right, I can't read that. But I try to read a little bit. Ian e. Bounds, when I'm in my office, it just sits on my desk, and, He's a man, he, he, he preached on prayer, wrote on prayer. I got a book that thick, just all kind of little books. It's all compiled in one big one of works, things he put on prayer. I, I, I do love, there are a lot of, a lot of good Ian bound, Bounds quotes, but of course, Brother Dean told us to burn all our books on prayer. Today. Don't tell him I got it, all right? I didn't burn that. Don't tell him I kept that. I'll get in trouble. But here's one of the things that Ian Bounds said, and I, it's always stuck with me. He says, the church is looking for better methods. But God is looking for better men. And that's true, isn't it? 
We're always looking for, what's the new program? What's that church doing? What, what about a new ministry here? And what about a new thing there? And preacher, what if we change this? And what if we change? And I'm not against new ministries and I'm not against new things and all that, but I'm going to tell you what we need. We need some men and women of God that know God and are in tune with God and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That is the answer. That is the answer to everything that is going on here. That's the answer to everything going on in your home. That's the everything going on in your heart. That is the answer. You need God. It's not that you need a program. You don't need 12 steps. You don't need four keys. You don't need 12 principles. What you need is God to show up in your life. And you need to follow the pattern that He's already laid out in the Word of God. Miss Julie, come around the piano. And I'm done tonight. I appreciate you listening. But God's looking for some people, I believe this, who are faithful who are desperate, who are obedient to follow the pattern that has been laid out for us in the Word of God, in His, in His Word. Are you faithful? Are you desperate? Are you obedient? I want to stand together all over the building. And if you don't have anything to pray for tonight, personally, would you help me pray tonight that God's presence and His power would rest upon our church? And if it doesn't seem selfish tonight, I would ask you to pray for your preacher tonight. I don't mean that in a selfish or vainglorious way. I, Lord knows my heart. If, it take, if you take it that way, I'm sorry. Just pray that God would touch my heart and my life. I want the power of God on my ministry. Would you help me pray for God's presence and power in our church? What about your home? Do you have the presence of God in your home? Do you have the power of God in your home? We need God more than we think we do.